ideas of wrongdoing and rightdoing. There is a field. I'll meet you there. When the soul lies down in that grass, the world is too full to talk about. Ideas, language, even the phrase each other doesn't make sense. Hi everyone. As I mentioned during the last episode, Lynn joined Yvette and I after our chat and we had lunch together at a noisy and vibey restaurant in Musenberg. This is unfortunately also where we recorded this episode, which make the sound quality not good. I apologize for that again. I'm so grateful that this day came together and that we get to hear these two amazing ladies' journeys. You may hear some additional laughing in the background. That is Yvette, who sat in during the chat. Thank God for that, because Lynn and I were merrily chatting away when you heard a groan and saw vigorous handshaking from Yvette. She pointed at the laptop screen and draw our attention to the fact that we only had 2% power left. Whew. That was a close call. Thanks, Yvette. Today, we hear about Lynn's path. I got to know Lynn when I was doing my secondary rehab treatment. She was the house manager at the female house and also oversaw our art sessions. I am terrible at art, but really enjoyed our sessions with her. Lynn has become, in my eyes at least, some form of an internet sensation. She writes blogs and is involved on various websites and on YouTube. She seems to have made the World Wide Web her playground and looks as if she is thoroughly enjoying it. This podcast is supported by The First Layer, the 12-step workbook on working through the 12 steps in any addiction in 21 sessions. There is also a 24-day coaching and counseling program available based on The First Layer. For more information in this regard, go to www.freddy.org.za and click through from the notices at the right of the homepage. From drug addict and alcoholic to super mom and cyberspace conqueror, let's hear Lynn's story. Sit back and enjoy. Lynn, welcome to Meet Me in the Field. How are you doing? Thanks, Freddie. I'm doing great. Yourself? It's good to see you. I haven't seen you in... I've been clean now for eight and a half years. So it, so it must have been years. about there, yeah, because you left very, very soon after I got clean. I think that's yeah. correct. Yeah, absolutely. How long have you been out of Cape Town? I've been out of Cape Town for nearly seven years. Okay. Yeah. Because where did you where did you go? Because you were you were at the secondary house. Then where did you go from there? I left and I started working for myself. Okay. I enjoyed working at the, the clinic. It was definitely a good grounding for my recovery. Probably gave me the edge that some people don't have. But I think living in that environment can get a little bit too 12-steppy, a little bit mm-hmm. too much of recovery. I needed to live more of a, a normal life. Balanced a life. more balanced life, yeah. yes. And I started working for myself, doing books for my father, for my sister, for a couple okay. of other companies. Is that what you did for a living before you came into recovery? No, I actually, I worked for my father as a buyer and a creditors clerk for a geotechnical engineering firm. Okay. Yeah. Because I read your book recently. Oh dear. (laughs) (laughs) Yes. And I couldn't help think the whole time, I wonder what she does for a living. I wonder what she did for a living. Because it sounds, it sounds relatively chaotic. Once. It was very chaotic and part of that I was actually working for my father. So I you could possibly get away with some stuff that you would not, or not necessarily? Uh, partly, partly not. Um, I started working for my father about two years after I finished school. Okay. And then I worked for him for a couple of years and then I left and I worked for a couple of other firms. 
and then I went back to my father's company again okay. after that. But working for my father's company, it did give my parents a bit more insight into how chaotic my life was. Okay. In some ways it got away with more, but in, in other ways it actually led to me landing up in rehab faster okay. than if I wasn't working there. Cool. How long was the period of chaos? The period of chaos? Yeah. It, was, it was a long period. It was about 15 years. Okay. From about the age of 14 until 29. Okay. Yeah. That's a long time. And you're sitting here alive and looking healthy. <laughs> it's yes, amazing. It's yes. amazing how grateful the body can be. <laughs> Definitely. Um, I consider myself very fortunate. You know, considering my lifestyle, there was, you know, there's a number of things that should have gone wrong. Yeah. You know, I mean, I should be dead. I should the probably fact have that AIDS. I'm, I'm alive as well. Um, kind of you know, it's, I'm, I'm very grateful that I've had a lot of narrow escapes. Yeah. I hate it when people say, I found it very honest. Because how do I know you were honest? Now, but I found your book very raw, if I can put it that way. It was yes. very, it, it, it wasn't meant to shock. It was just, this is how it was. And yeah. I, I think, I kept on reading it and think, I wonder how people not in recovery find this. Because we kind of get nearly desensitized to people's stories. <laughs> yes. And other people will kind of, oh my God, like our friend Wendy, we were sitting yes. with our husbands around the table one night and Wendy and I were talking about our self-talk, the things we say to ourselves. And our husbands went, kind of, do you really say those things to yourself? Yes. Like, oh. Why? Because it comes into hands. Because that comes, that's what goes on in here. They were yeah. really spoken. And I think in, in, in a big way, we, like we sit here talking, we are really honestly raw about our yeah. feelings of what's going on for us. And it's as if real life has a filter. And we, we've kind of, our addiction took, took the luxury of a filter away from us. If we're not real, raw, we're not going to be honest. Nothing about me. <laughs> what about you? What, what do you think me? of me? Um, oh, I love you, Freddie. <laughs> you seem very close to your parents. Yes. Has that always been been the case for you? That's a difficult question. It's a very okay. difficult question. I've always been incredibly close to my parents, but um, I've been very dishonest to them. Okay. Yeah. yeah of course. Um, I was dishonest to myself, and for a lot of my life. My parents didn't understand where I was and there was a period of time in my teenage years where kind of where everything went off the rails, where I was, I don't know how to put it other than I was absolutely horrible to my mother and I truly believed she was out to get me. Now that I'm a mother, I look back and I kind of, I, I get chills, you know, and my mom has a lot of regrets. She now that she knows what she knows, she's studied psychology now. Oh wow! Yeah, and she's gotten very involved in the family programs. Okay. Her oh. own brother was an alcoholic and he died. Oh no! A while back, a couple of years back, from alcoholism. Oh no! You know, there's a lot of all of us looking back and reflecting on how we could have done things differently. Okay, yeah. And for my mother, she, I think she has a lot of regrets. Um, in my book, there was that one part about me drinking what's it, stow paying out the bottle and she read that no that wasn't my blog and she read that and she she phoned me and she said people are going to think that I'm a, a bad mother and I can actually remember the stow paying going down but I couldn't figure out what where it was going she said never in my wildest dreams would I have thought that it was my child at yeah. six years old drinking stow paying out the bottle 
that that, that was you, yeah. one part of that was in your book. You know, I think I think a lot of what I've shared has possibly hurt my mom, but maybe given her some more clarity. Yeah. And uh, she said that if she had have had a bit more insight, she could have got me into the the, the child's what are the adolescent unit at Kenilworth Clinic. Yeah. Oh, yeah. Um, yeah. But you know, we can't sit here and point fingers and and, yeah. and live with regret. We can only really move forward. Yeah. And my mother and I have had quite a an amazing journey since I got clean. Oh, cool. Uh, we've always been close, but we've kind of wanted to kill each other a lot of the time. Yeah. Uh, but we've. Yeah, we've gotten a lot closer, especially now that I've become a mother and I've got better understanding. Ah, and um, be real dry. <laughs> well, again, it's quite funny. I can remember my mother when I was a when I was a little tot. I remember her saying to me, "One day when you're a mother, ah. you're gonna get this back tenfold." <laughs> and I hope I don't. <laughs> I, I don't mind if I get it back tenfold now for a couple of years, but if I get tenfold what I gave out in my teenage years, oh my god. I'm not gonna survive. Yeah. It's like that, that one Bill Cosby quote we Bill Cosby quote. quote yes. Where his father always said, I brought you into this world, yes. I'll take you out again. My parents always say that as well. Um, I love that. I think I would have been that father, you know, kind of I did not bring you to sixteen for you to tell me fuck off. No, exactly. it's not going to exactly. happen. But if you go, you go on my terms. Exactly. But on the bright side, I think if my children do turn out to be addicts or alcoholics, I've got a little bit more insight than my mother, and I've got my yeah. beady eye on them, and I know what to look out for. Yeah. And you know, working at Harmony was like working with a bunch of kids, you yeah. know. Absolutely. So hopefully, hopefully, I'll be able to help my children if cool. they're yeah. in the same situation. I've got a, somebody close to me at the moment whose 19-year-old son is going through possible addiction, and she's an addict. And she is, she is so good with him because she really, really... Well, you can never really know what somebody feels, but yeah. she's completely open with him and he's actually completely honest with her. And that makes such a difference in how they are, they are dealing with this thing. So yeah. I find that quite beautiful. Then did you grow up with religion? No. Not? Not at all. Nothing at, at all? Not at all. Um, my mother grew up with religion. Okay. Um, she grew up as a Catholic in a convent, oh, wow, scared really? of dying. She used to pray that she would go to confession, walk out and get hit by a bus so that she doesn't go to hell because if you have one bad thought, yeah. you know, um, and I think oh my God. through that, my mother, we were brought up in a non-religious household, okay. um, not an atheist household or you know, anything like that, but yeah. it was a non-religious family. Okay. Yeah. And your schooling was that in, in what, what did they call it? Christelijke Nationale Onderwijs? So what? what? <laughs> Christian National... We, we, were, um, we went to Fisher School. It was a... There was um, religious, religious studies, studies and there was stuff like that. I didn't really take part. Okay. They tried to force me and I said, no. Okay. Otherwise, mom, you can talk to my mum. It wasn't really a religious school as such. And um, it, it wasn't the religion that I took offence to. It was specifically one thing I walked out of it in the school hall was when the, there was someone that came from a church to preach and they basically read a passage in the Bible and said, this is how you must interpret it. And if you don't, then you're wrong. Ah. And they basically said that everybody's wrong but them. And there were Jews in the hall okay. and there were Muslims in the hall. And I'm not even religious and I was offended. Yeah. So I left. 
Oh, you must have been popular. No, I walked out and the one teacher asked me where I'm going and I said, I'm going to go sit in the library. And he kind of had it out with me and I said, well, confirm my mother if you want, but I'm going to go sit in the library because, <laughs> no, it's, it's wrong. I've got yeah. nothing against religion, but I just don't feel that it's... Who was it? I think Barry Ronger, the one in the one uh, Sunday Times wrote, um, what was it he wrote uh, about religion? Basically, we'll have the devil sitting up and taking notes. Yeah. Um, and that's quite right. I wish I had that conviction as a teenager. I was this compliant little person, and I so wish that I could have had the, the good spot to get up and say, you know, I don't agree with this. I, yeah. I, I never knew what I believed. I only believed what you told me was okay to believe. Yeah. I never had the, the conviction of an own opinion. So my opinion was a religious opinion because that's what I was told to do. So well done. Well, that's why my mother brought me up to, you know, believe in what you believe and have faith in, you know, whatever it is that Excellent. you Excellent. Like. So you've had a good kickstart in life. I did. Because that's one thing that I, I had to learn in life. Just what, what do I believe in? What do I yeah. think? What do I like? I don't know. Well, I've so, got to say one thing about my parents. Um, you know, look, I'm not quite sure what went wrong with me drinking Stopin at six. <laughs> but other than that little problem, um, you know, my, my home life, my parents are, were and still are absolutely amazing. Oh, I mean, fantastic. sure they made mistakes, but no one's perfect. But, um, you know, if I look at other people and their family, their upbringing, their parents, I've got to say that I really did land with my bum in the butter. Oh, wonderful. Know? That's excellent. It's so nice to hear children saying that about their parents. I hope my kids are going to say that about me. <laughs> <laughs> there, there you go. This. So, so Lynn, what's your goal in life? For my children to say what I said on what's today's date, <laughs> on that day, on that podcast. <laughs> well, I think it's about time I said something nice about my mum after all those teenage years, you know. I've got some, some catching up to do. There you go, Mrs. Lynn's mom. Listen to this. She Margaret. believes it. Margaret. Yeah. <laughs> Believe what she's saying. I can look in her face, she means it. Yeah. <laughs> That's awesome. So you said you started with your shenanigans at the age of 14. Yeah. Okay. And you've obviously done a lot of work on yourself. Yes. Because we don't stay clean and sober by just sitting in a room and doing, doing nothing. Yeah. What made you start doing what you did at the age of 14? There's something very specific. There's a, couple, there's a series of incidents that happened which was very traumatic that sparked it off. And I'll tell you about that. But before I do that, I want to say that I don't believe that is the cause of my addiction. Oh, okay, cool. Um, I was drinking stow pain at the age of six. As we see, yeah, so I started acting I was, out at the age of five. So. Yeah, so no matter what, I was doomed to yeah. become an addict. Um, that just, I truly believe. Just needed to. But what took things spiraling out of control, first thing that happened when I was about 14, 13. About 13, I was in standard uh, seven. In grade nine. So basically what happened then is, um, so firstly, I never really felt my whole life that I fit in anywhere. I've always had, you talk about the negative self-talk. <laughs> Yvette I've, and I am looking to give you yeah. the eye. We had the same conversation. Well, I think every addict has had. Yeah. I've, I've always it's felt tricky. like I don't fit. Like I'm a square peg and the hole is round. Yeah. And I've always felt like there's something deeply, innately wrong with me. Yeah. And I've always wanted to fit in. I've just wanted friends and stuff. And I mean, I, I had a couple of friends, but... Mostly when I was in grade nine, I, I felt, you know, it was also going from a small little school, Cork Bay Primary, where everybody knows everyone else, plus their brothers, sisters, grannies, grandpas, aunties, uncles, to this, this big school. And very soon after I landed up in that school, 
about a year after I landed up in the school, my mom and dad sat me down. And my parents are a lot more open-minded and, and, and stuff now. But then if you talk about sex, my mother would probably fall over dead with a <laughs> red face. And um, they sat me down and they very embarrassedly tried to have a conversation with me about rumors that had gotten back to them. And apparently I was rather an active sexual child. Ooh. Which I wasn't. I'd never kissed Damn, a boy. So you missed out on or held hands or anything. But apparently yeah. I was giving blowjobs to boys and sleeping with everyone. And this rumor had gotten to my parents. Oh my God. So. And you had no idea I was the that last this was going around. To find out. I don't know so who started. So that is a good rumor. We that's still don't know. No, we still don't know who started it or oh how, why, nothing. And, um, you know, I was so humiliated. I didn't know what a blowjob was. I had to ask someone at school. Yeah. You know, that, that's how innocent I was. And, and they believe you? My parents, yeah. they, they did. They, okay. they wanted to believe me and they, they tried to, but the rumors kept coming and they kept sitting me down. And they kept, I mean, the one rumor was, was that I gave someone a blowjob at school and they gave me a bike in exchange for a bicycle. So basically I prostituted for a bicycle. And like I said to my parents, I'm like, do you see a bicycle? Yeah. <laughs> you know what I mean? Where did you um, think I hide the bicycle? It was, it was, so I mean, there was a number of things that happened. I mean, the humiliation with my parents was so oh intense. My God, it must be awful. And for my parents it was horrible. And they, they did try to believe me. But you know when it just keeps on coming? Yeah. What what do you do? And they were worried. And then I I started being very angry. And at school none of the boys showed interest in me as a person. Unless of course they thought that I was loose. Yeah. And they showed interest in me like that with lewd comments oh and stuff. My God. And of course none of the girls wanted to be seen with me because I'm yeah. a school tramp. And none of the kids' mothers wanted me at their house. Oh my god. The it ramifications. Was, you know, Fishhook is a it's a little valley. Yeah. And I was known as the tramp. Amongst parents, children. So you were basically persona non grata, nobody wanted to get close to And I never even held hands with a boy. You oh. know, I was I felt like I was thrown under the train, you know. Yeah. And it, it was horrible. And then you've got the middle school and the high school. So the middle school is eight, nine, and grade eight, nine, and ten. And yeah. then the high school, eleven and twelve, is eight, nine, ten. No, no, I've got it all wrong. It was standard five, six, and seven, whatever okay. that may be. Yeah. And then grade eight, nine, and ten in the high school. Cool. So ten, eleven, and twelve. Yeah. yeah. Okay. And when I moved between the two, when I was fourteen, uh, we went away for a holiday, and I met a boy. From Durban, ah. that was really cute and seemed interested in me. And of course, he doesn't know me, so yeah. he doesn't know Always. any of the rumors. Yeah. And I had my first kiss. Ah. And he asked me to sneak out that night, which I did. And he raped me. Oh my god! And my dad was looking for me. And when I came back into the tent, my dad was waiting for me. And I wanted to tell him, but he just said, looked at me with disgust, and said, "I didn't bring my daughters up to be like this." Oh my god. Um, you know, I think you can imagine it just went spiraling out of control. And I never said anything. You know, I was kind of still okay after that. But then a couple of months later, I was raped again. Oh. And the same guy came to my house while my parents were there, an older guy in his late 20s. And he started going into my little sister's room. And my mom kept asking me, what's this guy doing here? And, you know, looking back, I can tell what I should have done. And looking back, I don't beat myself up anymore. Yeah. But when you're 14, 15 years old, 
and you think your little sister's going to be raped and you're going to be blamed for it. Oh, my God. Um, yeah. Um, that situation luckily got resolved in an unexpected way and nothing happened to my sister. Thankfully. Hallelujah. I'm very grateful. Yeah, after that I started cutting. And I didn't know why I was doing it, but it just made me feel better. And it, Did you know what cutting was? No. Or was it something that... It's amazing how it just... No. It no. finds us. I didn't know what it was. I didn't no. know why I was doing it. I didn't think... Every time I thought about it, I just pushed it out of my mind because yeah. I didn't want to go there. And then my mother saw blood on my school sheet going through my white shirt. And she freaked out and wanted to know what I'm doing. And I stopped cutting after that. Um, but then I got involved with... Um, started dating the bad boy at school. Okay. So started, this had to come out somehow. It's not going to be in cutting, it's going to be in something And else. then I started drinking, I started smoking weed, I started... I just hated everybody. I hated my mother. I hated... I was just... Screw everybody. I just did whatever I wanted. I was just like a big burning ball of anger. Yeah. You know? And... Yeah. I mean, from there, just... Sure. And was there ever a phase in your life that you can remember kind of looking for... What can we call it? A spirit, spiritual guidance? No. Or did you just assume this is it? This is, no, I this was is on now how it's going to be. I was on self from the age from 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 the cutting, I was just on self-destruct. It was like a switch the went fuck this shit. The fuck this fuck it switched. It just went off and I was like a, just out of control. Yeah. Oh my god, just listening to this is kind of no. And of course then the sex and love addiction spiraled out of control, abusive relationships. Of course, yeah. The table was set. You just sat that's down it. for the feast. Yeah, that's it. <laughs> that's exactly what, what happened there. Yeah. So, now fast forward now a few years. How did it happen that you ended up in Rio? Well, I first landed up in the psych ward. Okay. Because I, I went to work black and blue, beaten, black and blue. And my dad phoned my mother. And my mother came and fetched me. And basically took me to a counsellor and then took me to the psych ward. Was that from the abusive relationship? Yeah. And I actually escaped out of the psych ward and I snuffed some coke and I went back. Um, <laughs> which, <laughs> as, as normal people do, right? And of this, this kind of hinted to the, the facility I was in that I might just have a substance abuse problem. Ah, might just. Which I denied. And I went to my first NA meeting, which my psychiatrist said I had to do. Uh, and I was diagnosed bipolar when I was in the psych ward. And then I was told to please stay away from alcohol and stuff so I can have further assessments when I left, which I didn't do. Oh. And then they, my parents wanted me to go to rehab, which I refused to do because I don't have a problem. So eventually, because I was still drinking and they found out about it on various occasions, I went to the outpatient unit at Kenilworth Clinic, but I didn't stop using and then towards the end of that, I landed up in tertiary care while completing the program, okay. which I actually completed. I think, I think Kenilworth thought that the house was testing me and the house thought that Kenilworth was testing me. So I actually <laughs> completed the program so I could prove to my parents I was sober. Oh but God. then I had a, I was still using, but I had one night where I took it too far, which was inevitable. And I was at my ex's house the one that you know, which was abusive. And, um, yeah, obviously I was kicked out of the house. And then um, after that, I landed up in secondary care. 
and that's when I just, that's when I started turning the corner. Okay. So I went about things all a bit backwards. <laughs> no, no, really. Yeah. <laughs> just, just completely wrong. So now you get to treatment. Now you read step two and three. Mm-hmm. Did, did you freak? Did you freak out with the word God in the steps? No, I didn't actually. No. And the reason why I think is because there's one thing that freaked me out a lot. And that's where after I signed myself in, I then asked the question of how long am I here for? <laughs> <laughs> and I found out it was three weeks, and I kind of went a bit wise. But when I went to treatment, I was not there to get clean. I went to treatment to prove to my parents that I don't have a problem. Oh my God! Yeah, like I went to treatment just to let the chaos go away. I had no, I had no intention yeah. of stopping. I, yes. I just wanted the chaos. To That's stop. right. So I didn't want to stop using. I didn't actually think I had a problem. I, it's a li- I know it's crazy, but I really, truly didn't believe I had a problem. It, it is so weird. I mean, I've read the book. And I think <laughs> Yeah, you've read the book. <laughs> Jesus. <laughs> and then you realized I didn't think I had a problem. This is yes. so funny. <laughs> have your laugh. I, I actually, had I not read the book for a few weeks ago, I would have, I would have sat there thinking, shine. <laughs> I haven't read the book. Think, Fuck, dude. Might, might I add that I'm always careful what I say. And even though I asked my mother to please not read the book, just in case she decided to read the book, I can just tell you that there's a lot more shit. That is not in that book. There was absolutely no doubt about that. It goes that. darker, it goes deeper, it goes a lot more hectic. And I will not be the soul of that in case my mother hears it, okay? My mum promised me she would be Can I ghostwrite for you? <laughs> yeah. <laughs> we make them my stories. We, just we could do that because I would love to get it out there. Let's get it out there. Yeah. I'll ghostwrite for you. No, well, you want to do you want to do the writing. <laughs> it's actually interesting. I've wanted to so write... So three of us to write. I've actually wanted to write a book which shares everything and... I had difficulty, you'll notice in the book that all the, I can't remember what I called them, but the men was all the same that name and so the woman was the same name because that. Bob and Bob and Jill or Bob and something. Remember. That was very clear when I read it, I thought, mm. oh, whoa, whoa, this is really Because really it's not just my this. story. Yeah. You know, there's a lot more people yeah. that are involved and I didn't want to give anyone else yeah. a story around. I really thought that was very, very clever of yeah. you to do it that way. But if I go further, there's a lot more stuff. Yeah. And, and I um, add a few names to the list. There's a lot of names, and even if I don't put names, but if I write it, people will know who it is. They yeah. know who I'm referring to. Okay. You know, and I speak now about my abusive relationships, and I've come to, I think, a very good place where I used to have a lot of anger. And that last relationship, I really loved him. And I wanted him to love me so badly, but he just seemed like he hated me. Yeah. He was screaming at me every night. It was so abusive. And... He would, um, he would gaslight me. I would say the next day, why did you scream me? No, I didn't. Why did you do that to me? No, I didn't. And I hated him. And I wanted, I didn't want an apology, even. I just wanted him to say, I did those things to you. Yeah. I admit that I did them. He didn't, he could have said, I'm glad I did it. That would have been fine. I just wanted yeah. to hear him say he did it. But you're not going there. And I hit quite a, a challenge in my recovery because of that. But now that I'm, nearly 10 years clean, I can look at it and I can say, I, f- I feel so badly for him because he's not a bad person. He came from an abusive household. Okay. His father abused his mother. Oh. He was an, He's an alcoholic and a drug addict as well. And I, he did love me. I can see that now. But he Just couldn't stop himself. It's an addiction as yeah. well. And the only way, he couldn't tell me he had done it because he can't admit it to himself. Just that you could have I you had a problem. consider myself grateful now yeah. because I can, I've moved 
forward, I have healed from this. I can say that I've survived the abuse. How is he going to reconcile with himself? How, yeah. how did he do those things yeah. to the person he loved? I feel so much for him. Yeah. And especially because he's not in recovery. The way he is now, he's going to continue doing that to every person he loves. Oh. I can have compassion for him. And I've forgiven him. Thank God for the program. Yeah. Definitely. Yeah. Otherwise, it'd never be Definitely. there. Definitely. Yeah. So to answer your question, by the way, about God, it didn't bother me about the step work in treatment because I didn't do the step work to get clean. I did it to walk the walk, talk the talk, and show everybody, you know, get my little badge at the yeah. end so I can walk out the other side. So what happened? <laughs> I don't know. You, you know, you would think that it would be like an epiphany, like a mind-blowing moment where you suddenly realize that you're an addict. Yeah. And it was actually while I was sitting doing step work and I was writing the answer to a question and I was just thinking to myself and I suddenly realized that I am an addict and I am actually working the program. It realized that I'm actually answering the question in a truly honest manner. Mm. And I thought, I'm not writing it to say the right thing to my sponsor or the right thing to the counselor. I'm actually working the steps. And then I tried to backtrack to pinpoint the moment that this epiphany happened yeah. and the moment when I started working the program and I couldn't. And then it, like, it bothered me for ages because it's like, when did this take place? When did the miracle happen? Yeah. And I, I can't pinpoint it. You would have think it would be like this aha moment with this light bulb going off and birds singing. <laughs> you know how they say, take the body and the mind will follow? Yes. So this is exactly what happened. The body yeah. was there and the mind follow yes without you even realizing the mind had followed it was absolutely amazing and i don't I'm, I'm not religious i've never been i never will be uh my concept of god is something that's personal to me it's quite frankly nobody else's business but you know if you think about a higher power in that moment for me there was a higher power because yeah. what had happened was absolutely powerful and i didn't have to define what my god was yeah. or what my higher power was i just had to believe in it and know that it worked for me and it did it was there. And it still is. Yeah. And I don't really have like a clear definition of what it yeah. is, but it's there. And it works in my life every day and I'm grateful. It shows. Yeah. <laughs> yeah. I mean, it's there. It's, it's obviously there. I'm alive. Yeah. You know? Nearly 10 years later. Yeah. You met husband in recovery. No, he's not a, um, he's not an addict. Oh, yeah. So, well, I mean, it's you were clean when you met him. Yes, I met him. Okay. Mm. And... Were you immediately forward with him? Yes. My name's Lynn. I did. I'm an addict. I'm an alcoholic. I'm a love addict. I didn't say love addict or sex and love addict. I, I said I'm an alcoholic and an addict. Okay. <laughs> and you're probably, getting, you're probably getting yourself, you're probably taking something on that you shouldn't. <laughs> yeah. And he was okay with that? He was amazing. And it's quite amazing how I met my husband. Is oh, that, cool. I, lo I love stories um, like this. I actually met him online. Um, me too. And, oh, well. Yeah. <laughs> I wasn't looking for a husband, though. Um, oh, I was. <laughs> I was uh, <laughs> well, then I'm glad to hear that it actually works. <laughs> no, what, what happened was, I was, obviously, I was working, I worked in treatment for a long time. All my friends, I, I dropped all the people that I was friends with when I was using, obviously. Yeah. I'd made new friends in recovery, so all my friends were part of the 12-step program. And I got to a stage where I left the treatment center and I was trying to live a more normal balanced life yeah. where I would phone someone on a Friday and say like, yeah, let's go out to a movie and have some supper. And they'd be like, no, I'm going to the NA 12 step, you know, the, the yeah. 24 hour meeting. And I'm like, oh, okay, cool. Have fun. 
I was doing meetings. Yeah. Then I phoned someone else and they're like, no, we're going to the big book study. I'm like, oh, jeez. <laughs> you know, I just want to go to a movie with yeah. a friend. And everyone was so wrapped up. And I mean, being an addict and, and, and the 12-step program is part of me. It's not the whole of yeah. it. But it seems like everybody was so obsessed and wrapped up in the program and I wanted to live life. It took me a while to get to that phase. Yes. I, I, I was so absorbed. But I was so alone. Yeah. I was so absorbed until I tried to, I wanted to kill myself because I did not oh. know how to live key. Yes. I did not know how to do the movie thing. No. So, so it took me a long while to get there. So well done for you to kind of snap into that kind of area. So, yeah. this is so I went online and I went to Gumtree Community and I started um, trying to find people I mean, I, the thing is, I didn't know where to find friends. Yeah. The way that I know life is you go to the pub. They're there. That's and exactly why I went as well. I, said, I can't go to pubs and clubs. And where everything's so juiced up, but it's so easy to talk to people because yeah. everyone's so pissed. <laughs> but now, how do you not do... Yeah, I, it was, it. It was just, I didn't know what to do. Yeah. And I went on to Gumtree Community and I saw that there were people looking for gym partners. I signed up for gym. I went to gym. <laughs> oh, you go, go. And I found this... Um, I was looking for women. And I found... Um, yeah, and I found a lady that like an uh, old bat that liked walking in my area around the corner for me. So every day I went walking with her around the block. Sweet. But it was something, you know, yeah. it, was, it was something more normal, not quite what I wanted. Yeah. And then there was a guy that I found that he was gay because I'm, I'm a sex and love addict, so I didn't want to meet men. Cool. But he was gay and he was also studying. So we hooked up and we would um, study together. Oh, cool. And it was great. You know, I was starting to do so more slowly normal. but surely you were doing more normal things with Well, more I didn't people. want to study with someone but it was connecting with someone else on a healthy level yeah. at least and then I responded to an ad that someone else put up and it said that this person lived out of Cape Town and used to, would come in on the weekends to do stuff hiking movies that sort of thing I'm like yes this is it yeah. and I replied and this chap replied and I'm like oh crap it's a man and I thought like I didn't I specifically didn't want to connect with a man because yeah. of my sex and love addiction. I wanted to connect with How a woman. How long were you clean now? I was nearly two years. Okay. Nearly. Nothing so. Would no? Yeah, about. Yeah, about. I don't know why, but I, I did. I, I did email back and we hooked up on that Saturday night and we just got on like a house on fire. We sat talking till two in the morning um, and I was a very good girl. I sent him home <laughs> all, the way to the, all the way to the West Coast at <laughs> two in the morning. Oh, you um, go, girl. He did kiss me though. Oh, so you kissed on the first day? I did. I did. It I was did an improvement, not. let me tell you. <laughs> I hope my mother's not listening. <laughs> anyway, but it was it was lovely and we, we got on really well and I did tell him about being an addict and he was cool with it. Awesome. Yeah, and we yeah, we went horse riding, we went hiking, we went to movies, we did all sorts of normal stuff. Yeah. And we could talk. Oh cool. Yeah. Spoke better than we do now after seven years of marriage. <laughs> but um, I mean, mostly it's been really good. Um, and then I actually felt pregnant. Uh, we met on the 28th of November, 2000. Um, what was it? 2010. And by I think 21st of February, I found out I was four weeks pregnant. Oh my god! So yeah, we got married and started a family. And you were, you both knew this is the way you want to go with it. Well, he told me he, he wanted to marry me anyway. Oh, cool! But now that I'm pregnant, maybe we should just, you know, hurry it up. And then I moved How to West Coast. How did that feel? 
how, how, how did it feel to be in a, in a non-abusive relationship for you? Um, it was it was hard in a lot of ways. It was weird. And and when we fought, there's been times we fought that I've acted like a complete animal. And he, he doesn't shout. Oh, wow. But I, it's kind of like I'm so used to abuse that I want him to like, you know, yeah. put his fist up. And then I'm like, come on, fight you bastard. Yeah. <laughs> and he's just like, honey, calm down. Have a cup <laughs> of tea, you know. Calm down. Exactly. Exactly. <laughs> and then I'll be like, apeshit. Um, but I've gotten better. Um, there's still a lot of stuff in relationships that I'm not good at. You know, um, if he's unhappy about something and I'll be like, oh yeah, and what about this and this and this oh, and this? God. I've got a list for you, buddy, that I'm not happy with, so <laughs> shut up. Um, Once a street fighter, always a street fighter. Is that what we... Yeah, exactly. Um, so I think I've, I've given him a bit of a tough time. But he's but been... But you're worth it. Yes, I'm worth it. I've grown a lot. I've learned a lot. And I think he makes me a better person. Oh, wow. A much better person. I, I, think, I don't think I do much for him. <laughs> Obviously but, not. But he does a lot for me. He's made me a much better person. He's grounded me. Well, between the two of you, you must have something. Because if I look at the, at the pictures of the children, they are so <laughs> gorgeous. Well, he is very hot. Is he? Yes. I don't think I've ever seen it. Oh my God, now I'm going to start stalking her on Facebook. <laughs> <laughs> he doesn't like Facebook and social media. You won't find him there. Then I have to go and visit. I can send you a picture. <laughs> <laughs> no, he's, 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 he's perfect for me. Wonderful. Yeah. So, from what I can gather, is Lynn today is somebody who who seems to really know who she is, what she stands for, and what she wants out of life. And and she knows that there are certain things that she needs to do to stay on that path to get there. And that's what you do. Definitely. Definitely. Um, and more than that, there, there, there isn't. Well, no, actually what I find is that I'm, I'm learning about myself every day. And I'm growing as a person every day. And I'm, I'm always changing. Not, I mean, not like, not like a chameleon changes its spots every day. Like we do. <laughs> yeah, like we used to. But more, I'm, I'm, I'm coming into my own, yeah. my being, more and more every day. The more I work the program and the longer I am in recovery, the kind of more at peace I am with myself. And every time I share my story, it kind of lifts a bit more of the burden away. Yeah. And I'm a lot happier. I'm, I'm the happiest now today than I've been in my entire life. Yeah, which is, yeah, it's yeah. Quite, a, quite an accomplishment. And, you know, for most of my life, I mean, even up until a couple of years clean, I, I didn't believe that I would ever be happy or worthwhile or anything. And it's, it's amazing because, you know, just before my one year clean time I thought hey I'm the man woman you know and I've done this I've like waxed this yeah. is, and I look back now and I realize that even up until four years clean you see you're actually sitting on the edge of a cliff and you don't sorry <laughs> but you don't realize it you don't realize how close you are to relapse and how yeah. treacherous it actually is it's only now close on 10 years later I can look back and say yo jeez yeah. I'm lucky that's one thing I make a point of saying in meetings to newer people is, guys, early recovery is difficult. Don't let people tell you differently. Yeah. And don't let old timers tell you it gets more difficult the longer you clean. That's bullshit. What I find is it gets difficult because I think I can do it on my own. Yeah. And that's when I go through pain. 
it's when I think I don't need to do what I need to do when I go get into shit. But life gets so much better. Just get through this and just keep on going forward. But that, that's something else, is that I might be nearly 10 years clean, but I had an episode... Uh, well, actually, I did use drugs. Maybe that's bad to say. But um, that was an accident. I'll explain. Um, this this year, I actually had a miscarriage. And ah. I I didn't realize I was pregnant until I was losing my baby and I was in hospital. And I had to have an operation, a topic pregnancy. So I had to actually have a cesarean section oh to God. remove my tube and my baby. Um, there was no choice because my baby would never have made it. Yeah. And the only thing that would have happened is I would have died of internal bleeding. Oh, my God. My internal bleeding was actually quite severe. That's why I went to hospital. I thought my appendix was bursting. And after the operation, the doctor said to me, I see that on your chart. It says we must only give you paracetamol because you're an addict. But I want you to know that just in case you do need it, you can ask the nurse for morphine. I've just put a little note here. And I, w- I nearly did it. I nearly did it. I can imagine. I told him to come back in five minutes. I thought about why do I want the morphine and it had nothing to do with the physical. Are you serious? Nothing. I just wanted to blot out the last 24 hours out of my mind, the loss, the pain, the confusion, the shock. Yeah. And that for me was, it was an absolutely terrifying moment. So I mean, nearly 10 years clean, you think you've made it, you're in the safe, you're in the clear. And there's something like that comes out of nowhere and knocks you for a sixer. And morphine is handed to you on a platter. Oh my God to take away that emotional pain. Yeah. And I managed to say no. Wow, well done. Um, but I think it's just because I realized where that was coming from. Yeah. But my mind was telling me it was for the physical. So that was close, you know. And then actually a few days later, I went back to my GP for a checkup and he asked me, how's the pain meds working? And I laughed. I said, well, paracetamol doesn't really do much. So he said, okay, now I'll give you something else. And I've been with this GP now since I've been in the West Coast. He's been absolutely amazing. And I got home. And for a couple of days, I felt great. My husband was like, those kids are around. I'm like, hey, leave them, they're fine. <laughs> I was like so relaxed. And then on the third day, I started feeling jittery and, you know, fidgety. Yeah. And I suddenly realized, oh, let's take my meds. And I thought, oh, shit. Three o'clock and I'm wanting meds. There's something here. Yeah. Anyway, um, my husband looked it up for me. I was on Tramadol. Oh, my God. Um. And I'm not going to blame my doctor or anybody here. Lots of my mother-in-law's cross. She's like, you must take it up with him. And no, no, no. And I'm like, no, it's, it's not a, it's my, I'm the addict. My it's my, my responsibility. Yeah. I should have checked the meds. I always, when I go to the doctor, I always say, I'm an addict. Remember, no yeah. addictive substances. I forgot to say that this time. You know how often the, my, yeah. my, my house doctor and I would sit talking about my recovery, about how is it going? Yeah. Bada, 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 get to the pharmacy. And I always say when I hand the script over, I say to them, just make sure there's no ephedrine, pseudephedrine or codeine in. And every single time there will be. Exactly. And and I also wrote an article for my blog saying, I don't blame you. My recovery is my responsibility. Yes, and every time I've been to the doctor, I tell them that I'm an addict and I can't have this, 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 this. And then when I get home, I check it. I check every little ingredient online before I take it. If it's not paracetamol. I check everything. I've got a pharmacist. And I didn't so I do that. Okay. I didn't do that. I just popped it. Yeah. You know, and so yes, I used drugs this year. That was an oversight. It was a mistake. And thankfully, when I realized it, okay, I freaked out a bit. The, but I, the, I the, went off it. The relapse would have been if you knowingly took it again. Yeah. The, no, then, I'm not, then it's a relapse. Absolutely. I'm not no, ashamed. I, I'm going to, you know. The same happened to me. I, I, I had a 
chest cold and I went to the pharmacy. Also, same pharmacy. How's your addiction going? And alcoholism and bada 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 bada. Get my cough mixture, get in the car, take oh a <laughs> few big sips. Stop at the traffic light and think, you, what a lovely warm glow is. <laughs> what was in this? <laughs> Took the bottle. Yep. There you go. X percent. Yeah. Jumped out immediately through it in the dustbin and continued to run. Yeah. Yeah. The relapse would be if I done. Ah, alcohol. <laughs> That's yeah. where this is. Well, we kept our meds because my husband said, "Hey, you paid for those. I'll keep them as a painkiller for someone." <laughs> so they're actually still at home. But um, yeah, I don't, I don't feel the yeah. need to touch anything. Awesome. When you look at your children, yes. Do you see you in them? Do you see a little? What do you see? My children. <laughs> My son has some characteristics that okay, I find this, concerning. Just, just stop there for a second. You must see her face. I wish I, I had, <laughs> that was the softest face I've ever seen. She, she, she turned to Patty. Oh, that's <laughs> just a kid. No, my children are amazing. My daughter is a bit anxious okay. and likes to get everything right. When she lies, I can see it immediately. Oh, sweet. She usually doesn't lie, but if she does, anybody <laughs> can see it. Anyone. You can't bullshit the bullshit. My son, but on the other hand, lies so smoothly ah. that I look at it and I'm like, oh my God, you get that from me. God, you're good. <laughs> yeah. And I look at that and I'm like, oh, that's trouble. That's big, big yeah. trouble. Yeah, you see, you did you do that? No, nope, Callista did it. <laughs> and I'm like, no, you did. No, nope, no, nope, she did it. And I asked my, my daughter, she's like, no, no, I didn't do it. And I'm like, oh, you see. Oh. And I think that smooth lying gets me very edgy. Yeah. And I'm sure you know why. And he's only four. And I used to steal my dad's coins when I was little. Last year, when my son was three, I asked the class, every, every week you bring money for, um, what do they call it? Tuck shop, but they call it something else. They call it... Um, In my day, they call it tuck. No, the Afrikaans thing, the... Um, Snoopy. 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 Yeah. I still got to use the Afrikaans thing. By the way, this extra voice that you hear is Yvette is still sitting with us. <laughs> so the extra laugh, the extra voice. <laughs> yeah. If you've been wondering what the hell's going on. Yeah, you're just enjoying it. Yeah, it's so nice. It's so nice having you here. <laughs> so the one, the one week I went to them on Snoopy's on a Friday, and I said to the teacher, um, "Do I need to give some money for Snoopy?" No, no, no. Scott brought it in yesterday. I said, "Hey, what?" <laughs> no, he's been stealing coins and taking it into the school every week <laughs> on top of the money I bring. And you know, so you used to be running an investment scheme without your. Knowledge. I used to do that when I was little. Sorry, mom, if you're listening. Sorry, dad. But I used to. My dad used to hang his pants over the couch and go over the shower as soon as he came home from, from work. Yeah. And my mom used to then take the pants off the chair and put it in the wash. Yeah. But if you can get in the in that sweet spot <laughs> in between and empty out those coins, perfect. Are you serious? Yeah. <laughs> and then I found out. My, and then I used to take it to school. I used to blow it on the tuck shop. Now I found out my son. Has got Snoopy. He was three. Three year old. Three, son. and he'd been doing it for weeks. <laughs> I found out my three year old son has been handing over Snoopy money every week. Oh my God, you and are I, going to be this yeah, to do the end. Look, degree. I don't know if that means anything, but I'm on it. <laughs> I'm on it like a ton of bricks. <laughs> like, all over him like a rash. <laughs> exactly. So, yes, I see that he's got a lot of characteristics that I have, yeah. and some of them I look at and I think, oh, cute, and some of them I think, oh, shit. So I'm laughing about it, but it's also... But you, it's like everything in life, that's awareness. If you're aware of it, you can kind of yeah. catch it early, point it out, and kind of deal with it. It's, 
Yeah. But that's awesome. <laughs> but this is so cool. I <laughs> love yeah. it. Anything else you would like to add? I think that's it. Awesome. Yeah. So, just for for all of us, if you want to, you don't have to. Where do we find you on the internet? Where will you not find me? <laughs> <laughs> I am in every corner of the www. The World Wide Web is mine. Okay, well, I mean, for addiction, you can look for me at lynnlivingwithaddiction.com. I don't cool. write on there often anymore. I'm very busy. It's a, it's a hobby of mine. So it's L-Y-N-N-E, livingwithaddiction.com. And then also, I have written a few addiction articles on my, my parenting website, which is kaboki.com. Okay. And that's K-A-B-O-U-T-J-I-E.com. Cool. And those are my two main spots. Cool. Yeah. So we'll find you there. Awesome. Thank you very, very much. Guys, it's just very, very nice. Thank you so much. Thank you. I'm going to be on a high for a few days after this. Thank <laughs> you. <laughs> Lynn surely does have a story of hope. I'm very happy that we managed to get her to talk to meet me in the field. I referred to Lynn's book during our chat. This is an ebook that she wrote. It is called The Darkest Hour is Just Before Dawn. It is available at Smashwords, which is at www.smashwords.com forward slash books forward slash view forward slash 680687. And it's available for under $5. Go check it out. I think it is a worthwhile afternoon read, especially in a cold afternoon in bed on your Kindle. Then has come such a long way in her journey. As she says, her spirituality is quite personal, but we do not need to delve into it to know that she's living it. As Yvette mentioned, it is through Lynn that she got into recovery. Lynn carries the message of recovery loudly, proudly and clearly. Please follow her on lynnlivingwithaddiction.com. She's also very active on a parenting website called Kaboki. You can find her there at kaboki.com or catch her on YouTube. Just look for Lynn Heisaman. If you want to know more about what I do, please feel free to connect with me on my website, which is www.freddy.org.za, or find me on Facebook at www.facebook.com, freddy.org.za, or on Twitter at at Freddy. Remember that Freddy is always spelt with an IE at the end. I want to thank you for listening. Be safe. Bye.